0: Worthy of all praise, worthy of all honor. What a great God we serve. And how about the dads in the house? It's our day. We got one day. It's our day. And guess what? I see a lot of dads out there. Oh, that inspires me. It inspires me for our church. Like, hey, if the dads are showing up on the one day they get to do what they want to do, And they say, what I want to do is to get my family and get my butt to church. Come on, dad. If you're a dad, would you lift up your hand? Come on, every dad we got. Keep it up, keep it up, keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. Come on. Hey, stretch your hand towards the dad. Let's pray for the men in this house. God, I thank you for every father. I thank you for every dad, every grandfather. I thank you that they have chosen to be. They aren't perfect. None of us are apart from you, Jesus. But they chose to be placed in the presence of God. To make a priority on the house of God. That they showed up today with the spirit to learn, to grow, to mature, to get strengthened. And they give us strength. The dads of this house, they, they're pillars that God, you're building strength upon. Lord, I thank you for every issue of their yesterday. Every current battle or crisis, they might find themselves current climate of their life. Lord, I thank you, you were faithful that you will finish the good work you started in them. I thank you. They're leveling up in their self-leadership. They're leveling up in their spiritual fervency. They're leveling up in their care and concern for others. And they're there stronger now than ever before. And they're only getting better. We pray blessing and favor falls on every father at Kingdom City. In Jesus' name, can I get a grateful for the dads? Amen. Welcome online. Men of Lansing Correctional, we love you. You guys can grab your seat. Thank you, worship team. You might not know this, we had a little longer worship today because Pastor Kyle was a little slow getting done with the 10 o'clock service. We had ourselves a good time, and we were there for a long time. I will try to change course on that. Right now, my clock just says I have a minute 30. So we're gonna go real quick. One minute, 30, 90-second sermon. Who's ready? Just kidding. It's great to see all of you guys here. Um, We're doing this Bible reading uh, plan, and we are preaching everything that we're reading in the coming week or what we just read in the previous week. Last week we did Ezra, and now the corresponding book with that is Nehemiah. How many love Nehemiah? Oh, okay. You guys have got to read Nehemiah. Because to know it is to love it. Because it gives us such practical insights on how to build something of significance with our life. It is loaded. Like, Nehemiah deserves a six, seven-week series all by its own. But I'm going to give it to you in 34 minutes and 22 seconds. Like, I'm going to give you what I feel like if I can tell you one thing that I learned from Nehemiah in reading it. One thing that spoke to me in this season, uh, this is the message I think God wants you to hear. Now, really quick, let me just unpack the story. God's people are in captivity. They have made mistakes. They have hardened their hearts, and in response to that, as they get out of the promises of God, they get out of the promised land. How many know God is merciful, but God will sometimes lift His mercy so that we can what ultimately come back to Him, be restored, be strengthened. And so God lifts his mercy. They go, and they're under Babylonian captivity, then Persian captivity. But then the king, really the emperor, starts to send some people back to what is his province. It's in Jerusalem. Now, there's this cupbearer to the king named Nehemiah. He's in the inner circle. Like, he's got himself a great job in the empire. He's doing awesome, but he is Jewish. He is Hebrew, and that's his homeland. And he gets this message from some of his his family and friends, in Nehemiah chapter one, verse four, that the the walls have been torn down in Jerusalem and the people are being attacked and persecuted. There is no peace, there is no prosperity, there's no way forward because they don't have the outer protection of the walls. Anything and everything and anyone and everyone is just taking what they want and God's people are not prospering. And he hears that story even though his current scenario is pretty sweet. He says, this life is not just about me. There's other people that I have to care for. Like we say here, the people are the, are the promised land. And so he, he goes back to the promised land. In fact, it says here, when he heard these things, he sat down and he wept. And for some days, he mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. You ever had something that just wasn't working and you were sad about it? It upsets you. But you know, I love that he doesn't stop with just being upset with the plight or the problems that he sees around him. He actually doesn't have to do anything because he's got a pretty great life where it's at. But he's got a kingdom perspective. He's got a bigger heart. He says, even though I'm taken care of, other people aren't. And so I'm going to risk what I've got for the reward of restoring for what other people need. I'm going to leave my comfort because I have a calling. He doesn't just find himself in a place of pain over a problem. He says, I'm going to get a plan to bring solution. And so he risks it all. He goes before the king. Not only does he have favor for him to go, but he sends others with him. Not only does he send others, but he sends provision. There is a plan to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem to make a safe place for God's people in their promised promised land but they start building under some persecution and resistance and then we find in nehemiah 4 there's really a turning point in the story where they're making some traction but they begin to slow down and in that middle ground a whole lot of mess of accusation uh, of of attack uh, of fear begins to foster and then the resistance gets real Nehemiah 4, verse 6, we rebuilt the wall till, till all of it reached what? This halfway point. It was halfway there. Because the people had put their whole hearts. People had worked with all their heart. I mean, know the halfway point is the hardest place. Do you know that? That when you're, like anyone is excited in the beginning, but then when you've got something built but you're not quite there, you're halfway there, that's where most people get frustrated, and most people quit, is in the halfway zone. I would say when it comes to your spiritual life, a lot of people settle for halfway. They aren't who they used to be, but they know they're not everything they're called to be, but they feel like to get to the next level of calling, it's going to take a whole lot of cost, and they're just not, I'm just kind of happy in the halfway. I mean, my marriage, we're not fighting like we used to fight but we're also not prospering like we would desire, but it seems like a whole lot of work and a whole lot of forgiveness and a whole lot of counseling and conversations and prayer to get any better, this is fine. I'll be okay here. My kids are not in juvenile hall, but they're not on the honor roll. They're kind of in the middle. And you know what? That's better than I had it, so we'll just leave it right there. But there's a Nehemiah in you that says, hey, if God wanted me to do something, He's going to see it through. I'm not going to settle for just better than it was. I want it to be everything that God desires and has designed it to be. And what you'll find, though, in the halfway points is that most people quit halfway. In fact, our world is filled with maybe hundreds of millions of quitters. of people that did not fully see things fully through because the cost became too much for them to carry. But Nehemiah, his project, although he's an unbelievable leader, all of us can learn through. In fact, if you haven't read it, please read it. It's so powerful for your life. The way he leads selflessly and sacrificially and without fear of what he's facing. He rises up in courage. But there's there's a Nehemiah in you that says, halfway there is not good enough. I want to get all the way through. But there's an enemy that wants you to quit before you see the breakthrough. He maybe couldn't stop you from starting, but he'll try to stifle you in the middle ground. And this is why the enemy leverages up his attack against God's people in the story of Nehemiah in the halfway point. And I wanna speak today just from a simple thought. It's kind of a bold in your face statement. I won't stop now. I have come too far to quit. Let me just speak that over our church. We won't stop now. We're not going to stop until you see the best of God in your life. We're not going to stop until in Kingdom Kids, we are raising up another generation of world changers to go farther than us. We're not going to stop until we see an opportunity for everyone in the metro to hear the message of Jesus. There's just more that God wants to do in this promised place that we occupy, and we will not settle for halfway, and we have come too far to quit. We won't stop now. Now, there's lots of reasons why people stop. People stop uh, building their life. People stop leaning into the things of God. People stop, um, like, in the halfway zone all the time. Like, like, they call it a midlife crisis. People stop caring for the things that they used to care for because they're halfway through and it doesn't seem to be as satisfying as they thought it would, it would be. I think the number one reason that people quit on something that isn't quite there that isn't quite happening yet is they just get tired. There's just a fatigue factor in this life that we live. Spiritually speaking, there's fatigue, but I'm just talking about naturally speaking. We just get tired. We're trying to do too much and handle too many things. We're preoccupied or overly entertained. We're not getting enough rest. We're not getting enough nourishment. I'm not just talking about your physical body. I'm also speaking about your spirit. And before you know it, you're just running on ease. In fact, the number one thing when you ask people, how are you doing? What's going on? How are you doing today? What's the number one thing you hear back? I'm, you guys are too tired to even answer. (laughs) Okay, you're you're exhausted. I'm tired. I hear it all the time. And be honest with you, that's one of the things I say all the time. Then I'm tired. I'm, I'm tired. Are you tired, though, of like living your life through a filter of fumes? Do you know we're not called to live that way? I mean, I'm not going to go deep into the the work of the Sabbath on our lives, but God made a plan and did it himself from the very beginning, that we work for six days. doesn't mean you're working every hour of all days, all the time, but you're you're putting your hand to something that's producing for six days. When you're raising your kids, man, you can't really get a day off on raising your kids, but you still have to get a Sabbath. God did it himself. That means there's a a planned pause in our life, not to just worship and pray all the time. No, to satisfy our soul and our spirit, to rest and to recover. And so we work from rest, not just to get to the weekend for rest. And so if you're constantly worn down, you might just need to look at some time management. You might need to look at some entertainment addiction in your life. You might need to look at your social media and just give me a like and then delete the app. You might need to look at those things practically, but what I'm really more speaking to is to the spirit. A worn out, fatigued heart. And for some of you, you might have gotten good sleep last night, but that speaks to your current current scenario. Nehemiah 4, verse 10, it says, they're halfway, but then the people of Judah begin to complain. Begin to complain that the workers were becoming what? They're becoming tired. You know, Judah, that means praise. That means praise, the people that were supposed to be the people of praise were on pause. Why? They were exhausted. They had worked so hard and they weren't quite there yet. When you are exhausted in life, in your spirit man or your physical body, you will become discouraged because you will lose your energy and your urgency of that which is priority because all you want It's not to get it done. All you want is just a little relief from what's wearing you out. And the enemy knows how to work things into your life in times of exhaustion that will not just cost you a little bit of momentum, it could cost you your, your calling. Vince Lombardi's the one that said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And by the way, Dad, that's for you. Happy Father's Day. As a Packers fan, we pray for you. Your team is garbage. But that quote was for you. We love you. We love you a lot. Join the Chiefs. It's much better here. But how many know that? When you're tired, you don't have the pep. You don't have the fight. You don't have the energy. And so God's given us a plan how to not to get tired. That means that we renew ourselves in his, in his presence and we spend time with him in our, our spirit. And then we have a flame and a fire that will not go out, that will actually maybe even burn away some of the chaff of distractions in your life and give you a focus to your potential calling and purpose. And I know without him saying it in his story that Nehemiah had to go back to that original vision of the walls restored and the people prospering. At the halfway point, he had to remind him, God called me to this, God's gonna see me through this. And let me just tell you for a moment, you might not see much momentum or tra- are or taking new territory in your life, but you're halfway there. By showing up today on a rainy day, which maybe you were going to golf and it got rained out, so you chose church as your second option, the plan of God remains. <laughs> but maybe, maybe there's all sorts of things you could have done, but what you've said, and I was so blown away, all the dads that stood up in just a moment, that we have a priority on the place of God, on the praise of God, and on the presence of God. As a nation, we are we are a worn out people. Physically, that might mean you might just need to go to bed a little earlier. Not right now. I got 22 minutes left. <laughs> but you might need to do some practical things. But more than anything, if you can light that spiritual fire again, it will give you a fuel and a grace to make right decisions about what really. What really matters, the places of priority. And if you put your time and attention to places of priority, you will always prosper where it matters the most. Deuteronomy 25 says, never forget how the Amalekites, God's warning them. Never forget how they attacked you when you were exhausted and weary and they struck down those who begin to lag behind. The enemy knows when you are worn out, you start to slow down, and you start to get behind, you start to get out of alignment, and that's who he's looking for to try to wipe out in this thing we call call life, and calling, and purpose, and potential. This is why God's word is so adamant that you don't just spend your whole time worrying about what's going to happen in the future, you just handle today. That today is like a Every day is like a single brick. Maybe you have a few of them. You've got a, your spiritual time with God, you've got your marriage. Uh, and from that, you, you've got your kids. I've got three. I've got three little bricks that I stack up. Then I've got the pastoring of the church and the leadership of this house. And, and then I have some things that are priority for me to handle. And one brick by itself and a couple laid together is just a little pile, doesn't look like much. But after every day of me stacking things in priority, just getting the few things done that matter the most, before you know it, over weeks and months and years and decades, it's a fortress that was built with tensionality and time every single, every single day. The enemy is gonna attack us when we're falling behind and we need to just take an assessment of how our spiritual fervency and fire and even our physical strength is and make some decisions not to get discouraged when you're weary, but to go where you need to go to recharge in those places because when we get fatigued and tired, we get discouraged and then secondly, we get frustrated. It's not working. It's not working yet. God, I stood on your promise. God, I, I was a faithful giver. God, I forgave that person. And the thing I've been called to do, the thing you put in my heart, I obeyed it, but I haven't seen the blessing. I've done the hard work, but I haven't seen the harvest. I put my heart into it, but I haven't seen your help quite yet. You know what I've just learned, and this is not the most encouraging thing you're ever gonna hear, is that God just works on a different schedule than I do. And the things I think I'm going to get done in a day, they take a week. The things I think will get done in a week, they take a month. The things I think will get done in a month, they take six. Am I the only one that seems like that's the way that the God things in my life, they just are slower in developing? But what I've learned through both scripture and through time walking with him is that the longer I'm waiting in the delay while I'm still being diligent, God is developing me for something greater on the other side. So what I wanted in a day, I actually needed in a week because God was growing my capacity and my ability to trust him and to lead better. So if you're in a season of delay, but you can say to the best of your ability, not with perfection, that you've been putting your whole heart into it and you're wondering, why isn't this working? I'm fatigued and I'm frustrated, I promise you. That's why the Bible says, don't grow weary in well-doing. Why does it say that? Because when you're doing the the thing well, you're doing it right, there's a potential to get worn out. But if you don't grow weary in well-doing, you will reap a harvest if you don't quit. If you just say, "I I can't stop now, I'm already... This far, what I think was frustrating for the the Hebrew people, for the Israelites, those that are building in Jerusalem, wasn't that they just had one project. Is that they were building in a bunch of chaos. Like, they they're, Not only were they getting act, attacked from people verbally and discredited, but there was rubble everywhere. Like the the first thing they had to do was clear out the old before they could establish the new. It says in verse ten, and there was so much rubble to be moved. Listen, to me, it speaks to the fact that some of you still have things that have fallen apart in your yesterday that you have not moved out or moved on from or repositioned to let God rebuild and restore. For me, it also speaks to the fact it's never the one big thing you're working on. It's the thousand little things that frustrate you. I don't know about you. That's the way I'm wired. If I got one big project, I am all in. I am hyper-focused. I'm getting that thing done. But it's not normally that way. How many know life isn't that way? There's a thousand responsibilities. There's a hundred things that you could do. There's so many things that come in. This is like the rubble. The rubble happens in your marriage. It doesn't just keep getting better. No, it takes time and intentionality. You didn't know that bill was, it was coming, thing you didn't think you had to pay for. All of a sudden, not only does it affect your finances, it affects your, your health with your spouse because you're, you're not worried and concerned about one issue. And then one of the kids is like, you know, they're not healthy or, or they're struggling or they're falling apart. It's another thing. It's not the one big giant that normally takes us out. It's the thousand little foxes, the Bible says, that spoil the vine. It's the little things. It's like the rubble. And so you have to learn how to clear things out so that you could build from a, 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 a healthy, flat place or else you're always building on the little, the, the things that are not capable of carrying, carrying much weight. Like we have those closets. You have, who has a junk closet? Who's... who's better than them and just has a junk drawer? Who's got a junk basement? Who's got a junk garage? Who knows that Pastor Kyle has all four? And it's my fault. This is there my responsibility? Liz is meticulously clean and amazing. And her husband just, I just, I'm not even that artistic, but I just blame it on artistic. I'm just an artistic person when it comes to No, you know what I actually think it is? I think I have a hard time getting rid of stuff. I have a hard time, you know, I grew up, I was a missionary's kid for a season. There was a season in my family's life, like, man, my whole life I've known all in for God and his kingdom, but there was a season where that cost was very significant for my family. Like, I remember, like, we did not have much. We were living by faith and sometimes maybe even by fumes, and God was very faithful in different seasons. It wasn't our entire life, it wasn't my whole upbringing, but there was a season we didn't have much, and I still maybe have sometimes in my yesterday that scarcity mentality is that I can't get rid of stuff that really isn't that important and I don't even really care about. Like, I'm trying to clean out the closet. You would not believe this, but Liz has way less clothes than me. And I'm like, babe, what do you think about this? I still like this. She's like, you haven't worn that in three years. I said, I think it has potential. And she's like, I think that's evil. It's like, well, I'll give it away to someone else. She's like, no, do not curse someone else with that garment, burn it. But I just, I have a hard time. And I think there's some of you, you have a hard time with settling some things from yesterday. And unless you clean out the rubble, unless you learn how to like clean your workspace every day, you realize I might be bringing in some yesterday into this, until you learn to clean out those things, you're constantly gonna be in frustration because you're not building on a flat foundation. I think thirdly, just the fear of, of failure or that it just hasn't worked yet. You've taken a label on where God is just wanting you to grow in patience and you've tried your best to be persistent. Uh, you feel like, well, God's just put me on pause. This isn't going to work. Uh, I've lost heart, I've lost enthusiasm, I've lost my, 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 my vision for this building, for this life, for this marriage, for this mission of my life. It says in Nehemiah 4, verse 10, the people said, we, we cannot. All of a sudden, we can't do it. We can't rebuild the wall. Different translation says, we will never be able to finish it. And I look at that now, of course we know, the end of the story, they do finish it. You haven't maybe got there in the Bible reading, they got it done. Now it's an amazing story because listen, 52 days, that was incredible, but it wasn't necessarily supernatural. There's not one time where it said like, and God fortified the walls with a mighty wind. It doesn't happen. It's just consistent, strong leadership, strong vision in the midst of adversity that kept going. And they did it in unity, and God blessed it, so it's it's miraculous, but it's not supernatural. It's the power of multiplication of us, us working together with one vision, not two visions or division. We're on the same thing together. But there isn't a supernatural moment where God where God does it all. But halfway through, they says we've failed. It's not going to work. But we can look at it from the hindsight. What do we say? No, you didn't. You're just halfway. And some of you are calling a season failure when God is just looking at you and says, you're just not finished yet. I'm not finished working in you, and I'm not finished working through you. That, listen, if you're halfway there, I know this is real deep, spiritual, and scientific. Listen, you're halfway there. And I would just tell you, every one of you, through everything that has gone on in the world, for everything that's gone on against the global church, everything that's gone on against the faith and standing for truth and righteousness in Jesus when it ain't popular anymore. The fact that you are here now says to me, you're already halfway there. You might not have everything working the way, and there's some things that God might work out till eternity in your life. But I promise you, his promise is not a halfway promise. It's an all-the-way promise, and if you have made it this far, I pray that you just get some righteous shoulder back, head held high. I can't stop now. Why? I'm already halfway. How foolish for them to try to quit when they've already done 50% of the work, and showing up and leaning into God when you haven't seen it isn't futile. It's building your faith, and the halfway zone is where we need him to co- show up and, and, and encourage, encourage us. And then in, in the midst of that failure, they, just, they get bombarded with fear. Real, real attack is very likely coming against them. Why? They keep hearing about it. Over and over, the enemy says, we're going to attack you. We're going to wipe you out. This isn't going to work. There's some squatters in the land that don't want to see God's people prosper. They like it the way it is. In, in verse 11, it says, also our enemies are saying, but before they know it or before they see us. Come on, they got that John Cena anointing on them. You can't even see me. I'm gonna creep up on you and I'm gonna destroy what you've been working on. I'm gonna tear down your, your, your family. I'm gonna attack your career. It's these voices of the enemy. that they're, they're gonna come and kill us and put an end to this God work that we've been working on. They first criticize and then they ridicule and then they, they full on threaten them. It's a threat. Listen, your life, you might not come for much, you're still called to much. Your life is a threat to the enemy. Your calling, your story, your influence, your sphere of people around you, your in Christ potential is a threat. So the enemy who couldn't stop you from this salvation is trying to stifle you in your redemption. In the redemption of your calling, of your God-given purpose, of your ability to make known the love of God to the world around us. To not just be worried about yourself, but like Nehemiah is like, I'm okay in this comfort place, but I've got a calling place, which isn't about me. It's about what God does for me, through me, through the generations coming after me. It was a bigger purpose. And if you're halfway there, go all the way. Do not let fear become... A factor. In fact, the verse 12 it says, Then those who live near the enemy. Uh, I've never saw this until this week came and told us, listen, ten times over. How many of you don't want to hear bad news? Once. Ten times. Wherever they turn, they're gonna attack us. Wherever you go, it ain't gonna work. No matter how hard you try to honor God, you're always gonna falter. No matter how much you try to start living in integrity, you're gonna slip. Ten times over. But I've noticed this week that those were the people that weren't necessarily against them. They were just on the fringe. They lived closer to the enemy than to the walls. And I'm not putting anybody down. But I'm just saying, if you aren't in proximity of the place of priority of God's calling You do not get voice. If you're living closer to the enemy than you are to me, you do not get to speak into what God has called me to do. If they are more comfortable being close to the adversity, the adversary, than being in the midst of the adversity of what we're fighting for, they don't get a say, especially 10 times over. And so we make the decision... I won't stop now. And what am I going to do so that I don't stop? The first thing is I'm going to find my joy to finish what God's called me to do. Because joy isn't happiness. Happiness is based on circumstances of things that seem like they're working out all right. Joy is based on a perspective that God is at work even when I don't see it working. That God's developing. And God's maturing, and God's going to breathe on this thing. I find my joy to finish this. For some of you, you might just need to take a rest and rejuvenation and look after your physical body. But for all of us, joy is this spiritual gift from the Holy Spirit that grows in us when we get in to the place of planting that God's called us to. In fact, in Nehemiah 8, verse 10, again, the wall's been finished at this time. And they have a church service up in there. And then the people are all mourning those still. Because of their nation, their people had messed up before, and the word of God, they, they, they're not even celebrating what God has done in that season because they're thinking about the things that didn't work out before. Anyone ever been there? Something good is actually happening, but you're still thinking about the two things that didn't work out before. But Nehemiah says, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drink. Oh, no Coke Zero. You're getting the real thing, Coca-Cola. And send some to those who have nothing prepared. In other words, be generous to others. Enjoy this thing. I love this. This day is holy to our Lord. This celebration in the house of God, this is a holy day. This is a holiday. Like we came here to praise. And we came here to worship. Not not to whine about what didn't work, but to realize God's at work. And that... And, and we don't grieve in this. Why? Because we still got the God factor. It says, "For the joy of the Lord is your strength." Is your strength your spiritual perspective of who God is and how He works? Is your is your strength not your happiness on circumstances? I love this because they just got out of a church service and everyone's down. And Nehemiah said, "Oh no 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 no! Look at what the Lord has done." Get a perspective change. Let's let's eat something. Let's break bread together. Let's celebrate. And then if we can do that, even when maybe some things didn't work out, we're not so worried about what didn't work that we don't, we miss what God is at work. Can we just build our church culture that way? That when we come into this house, we might got real problems and real pain. I know we do. We might have real adversity in our life and real frustrations. And maybe even we're fighting some fear even this morning. But when we come into this place, we're not so focused on what God hasn't done yet or what didn't work out. We're going to actually see that God is using us to build something bigger than us. We're going to enjoy a celebration. And we're actually going to get our joy back because it gives us the supernatural strength to keep going even when things are halfway there. The joy of the Lord becomes your, your strength. If you're in church, guess what? You're still here. And God is still at work. You can rejoice in the journey. In Isaiah 40, it says, He gives power to those who are tired and worn out. He offers strength to the weak, and those who, what, wait on the Lord will find new strength. Waiting on the Lord. What does that look like? Um, It doesn't look like this. Okay, it would have been better if I were to watch today. Um, God, where are you at? I'm waiting. No, it's not what waiting on the Lord means. Waiting on the Lord means I find myself in him and with him while I'm still waiting for him to do something for me. But I'm not removing myself from him, wondering when he's going to fix this thing. I'm actually in him and with him in the process. Like, waiting on the Lord is not staring at the clock. It's coming closer to your God. And you'll find that you will get spiritually, even physically, emotionally recharged in the presence of the living God. Now, my kids, they always want something from me that is the job of dad and mom, too. Like, um, like they, they just want something. What do they want? Normally, they want some sort of entertainment um, or they want a dessert. Am <laughs> I only, my kids are the only ones like that? They want screens and sweets. <laughs> they, they, uh, and Liz is better at not giving those things than dad. But, anyways. <laughs> You know what I love when they just want to come and spend time with me? Like, even my 11 year old, like, she's almost 12, like, she's so tall. But she'll just, like, come and sit with me. Like, I love that as a father. And then a few moments where they just want to be with me, they don't want anything from me. And listen, if they ask something from me after they were just with me, just hanging with me, just chilling with me, we won't just watch a show, we're going to the movies. You can't have a, you don't, what do you want? You want a yogurt? We're going double scoop ice cream. Like when you get close to me and you care about me, oh, you will see that I more than care about what you care about and what you desire. <laughs> Friends, that's waiting on the Lord. And waiting on Lord, the Lord is not wasted time. It's strength and joy and renewal time. Secondly, you got to be around other builders. Like, you cannot be with the people on the outskirts just talking about the negative things. You need to be in the center of the city building the wall. Be around other builders. As the enemy begin to make threats of attack and begin to tell them they're going to wipe them out, they chose instead to strengthen the work even more. They doubled down on actually building. They didn't run away scared. What they did instead of just bringing a tool, they strapped on a weapon as well. Verse 13 of the message, it's in the message prayer. It says, they stationed armed guards at the most vulnerable places of the wall and assigned people by families. We're not in this work together. We're doing this as a family. With swords, lances, and bows. And, and verse 15 and 17, we won't read it all, but it says, some of them had a weapon in one hand and a tool in the other. And there was some, 50% of them were waiting back, watching while the others were working, and then they switched roles. But all of them were more than capable to both defend And fight and also build and restore. And to me, this speaks of the beauty of a spiritual family. That if you really want to prosper and see God's plan be built for your marriage, for your family, for your career, you're not just doing it in isolation. Men, I'm especially speaking to you. We tend to think that silence and solitude is strength. It is not that it's actually in getting around the right-spirited, right-hearted people that are building that you'll actually have more protection and more prosperity and blessing. you actually get to build more and, and see more momentum as you're held in place. It's by doing this thing together that there was a miracle where they rebuilt the ball, wall in 52 days. It wasn't a supernatural wave of God's hand. It was that everyone who was capable and able put both hands in a hand of protection, and a hand of restoration. You might need to remind yourself, why am I doing this? I'm sure Nehemiah had to go back to the vision. Even though he had it made, it was not good for God's people. Nehemiah 4, verse 14, then I looked over the situation, and I called together the leaders and the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. Two different times to try to get Nehemiah to come down off the wall where he was working. He wasn't just talking to people. He was doing it himself. By the way, be a practitioner of the kingdom of God. Do not have a critique of how everyone else should do it. You go build it yourself as well. And as he was on the wall, the enemy tried to bring him down just to have a conversation. And he said, I cannot come down off this wall. This work is too important. Men, your marriage is too important for you to dabble and to slip into stuff that's going to cause a demise." Your kids are too important for you to come down to the wall and just veg out with video games and all sorts of things. There's a time for entertainment, but man, there's a time to take new territory. You stay on the wall and stay faithful. Do not allow frustration or fatigue or fear of failure to get you off of that God thing you're building. Because even though it's halfway and you wonder when will it be fully complete, God knows what he's doing when it comes to to your life why am I doing this ultimately you got to realize this is God's plan He I had to go back that this wasn't for me this is what God asked of me to do ultimately for others this is God's plan so therefore it's got to be God's power I'm going to have to put my hand to it but he's going to put his mighty hand on top of mine Psalms 119 verse 25 I'm completely discouraged the psalmist writes Revi- revive me he asked of God by, by your word. Just give, me a, just give me a one word. I don't know you. I'm, I'm motivated that way. Liz and I both are. Like We love to have a word of like, what is God saying? What is God doing? Even for our family, sometimes there's seasons where we're like, what's the priority thing that, that moves us, our family, forward? What, what, what can we work on right now? What, what's, the, what's the area that needs the most intentionality? What's the brick we need to make sure we keep stacking day after day? It's gonna be a, a blessing to the kids, to the future, to the church, to whatever God has put in our hands to, to do. What's that word? And I'm gonna give you like two words. It's two words that you're taking from here and into your life from this move forward. And it's a little cheesy and it's a little in your face, but I think you're gonna remember it. Here's your two words for this season. Everything that's been going on in the world. What we're choosing is we cancel quitting. We are canceling quitting. In our life. Now, there may be some things that you need to quit that are costing you calling. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about quitting the God thing, the good thing that you've been building. The thing that is halfway there in your life right now, you cannot quit until you see it done. We see it in Bible story and Bible story, and I've seen it in my own life is that in the moment of the middle ground where it's no longer fun in the beginning and I can't see the end in sight, it's in that middle place. If I'll just make the decision that I am not quitting, I will stay at this thing until it's done, it's in that decision something supernatural begins to happen. When I burn the boats or burn the bridge of going back is where the breakthrough of the build that I'm in right now begins to happen. When I just decide I'm not quitting on marriage, I'm not quitting on children, I'm not quitting on career, I'm not quitting on God, I'm not quitting on my faith, I'm not quitting on calling, it's in that place, friend, where you will find the favor of heaven begins to flow when you have eliminated every opportunity to quit and said, I won't stop now. Halfway isn't good enough. Your halfway marriage isn't God wants to do more. You're halfway raising every kids; It isn't good enough. God wants to do more. You're halfway of your career. It is not good enough. God has more. And if you will learn to be building something bigger than you that isn't about you, it's for the glory of God, because that's what we are as people, right? We're, we're in the here and now, but we naturally and supernaturally are building something that's, that's eternal kingdom of God that keeps going beyond us. That's why we talk about we're a hundred year old church in the making, that we're not just doing this for us. This isn't about what we need, it's about what God is asking of us. Nehemiah didn't need a new career, but Nehemiah needed a calling, and it was b- bigger than the cupbearer. It was to go in to build something for somebody else, and the promised land gets rebuilt. The Messiah comes, the plan of heaven prevails. In those walls of Jerusalem outside of them, Jesus was crucified that the salvation of humanity there was the eternal happening is happening at the same time and they're in that tension at the halfway place Nehemiah says it this way fight for your brothers for your sons fight for your daughters for your wife fight for your home there's a fight that's worth fighting it's bigger than us I know you might be exhausted. And I know you might be afraid. There might be a whole lot of rubble from your yesterday. But we have the God who restores, renews, redeems. He rescues. He re- revitalizes. He revivals your life to fulfill the purpose that God has for you. I'm going to end on a story, and I'm out of time. Uh, recently, I told the story I had forgotten. And um, it's well, it's like probably six years ago. Blair's probably five or six, five, six years ago. And we were on vacation, and we were at the beach. So I'm heavily sunscreened. And there's this little sandbar out there. And I'm like, hey, you know what? Let's go, let's go. I'll take, I'll take Blair out there. It's gonna be great. Dad ideas. And uh, so she's in this little like flamingo floaty. I'm in some sort of like fluorescent donut floaty, super masculine. And... I'm pushing her out there and we're just, we're making easy time, we're just cruising out there. And I'm pushing her, pushing her as I'm floating along. And we get out there and she can stand up out there, it was really fun, it's great. But then it's time to go back. Time to go back, something had changed in like the tide, the, the pole of the tide, um, and I, I could not get back. And like I'm still a pretty fair distance away. People are, you know, really small out there. And I'm fighting with everything I've got to get back. And I'm like, I'm a, I'm a capable swimmer. I'm not in the Olympics, newsflash, but I'm doing my best. And I start getting all these thoughts, these fears, like, so it's creeping in, creeping in, creeping in. It's like, you're gonna, you're gonna drown out here. You're gonna go farther out. You're gonna be lost. And I was, I literally, two different times, I was at the point of, like, screaming for help. Now, I'll be honest with you, my pride held that voice in. And I'm like, maybe I would rather die, um, just kidding, than be rescued. And I'd be pushed and then all of a sudden it got to a point like I'm literally thinking, I gotta yell out uh, because this is not working for us. And she doesn't know at all. She's just like happy as can be, kicking. And so what I decided, I I got sorry if you I love the ocean, I wanted to not pollute the ocean, but I let my my floaty go. Somewhere in the Philippines now or something. And I but I, I said, okay, it's just her and I. Like, okay, it's just gonna if it's just her, this is good. I can get rescued, I'm gonna push her on board, I'm gonna make it through. And I pushed, and I pushed, and I pushed, and finally, I made it. And maybe there's a message there about humility and asking for help, that's not what I'm after. But when I just put the priority, it's like if I could get her there, it was amazing how something, even in me, I know it's probably like my adrenaline kicked in, and this fight or flight part of me said, I'm gonna fight and I made it through and I sat there I literally had like one little tear I just said it was salt water and wiped it away but I remember like man that was a lesson to learn number one don't go out to the sandbar (laughs) but number two sometimes I need to get out of my own comfort of the thing that's keeping me up because I got to think more about what God wants me to push forward and it's by doing that that not only do I get that thing forward but I also find my forward my future my place my space as well and I'm going to say this to every man I'm going to say this to every person that what we're pushing forward into the future is bigger than us. What God has for you, if you're just looking at your wall and you're saying, this is good enough, well, it might be good enough for you, but it's not what God has called you to that's about other people. This is why we stay in the fight of our faith. This is why we constantly grow and mature. This is why none of us have arrived, and this is why we don't settle for halfway. We're gonna see kingdom come, and we're gonna see the will of God be done because there are generations coming after us that need the goodness of our God. We got rich because a previous generation was obedient. Now it is our time of obedience and sacrifice and building together in unity, one vision, not division. We're putting together our hands to what matters, and we protect each other and we promote each other as we build one another, as we get to work on the wall that is the church the place of protection and safe haven so people can know the goodness of God and walk in his best further in the kingdom of God. And as we push it forward together, God does something that's bigger, more beautiful, that is supernatural and natural at the same time. So what do you need to reprioritize today? To Get out of your comfort of you just getting the cup in the kingdom and the thing that you want and going and building something. Although it might be halfway there, God is not done yet. Acts 20, verse 24, I love this. The most important thing, priority, the most important thing is that I finish my mission, the work that the Lord Jesus gave me, that my life, our life, would tell the good news about God's grace to others that are coming after us. This is why we build better marriages. This is why we build and raise up God's kids. This is why we don't take shortcuts in calling. This is why we don't allow things to be half-built or just good enough. This is why we get together and we fight battles that matter, not fight with one another as believers. It's the stupidest thing on the but we realize there is a common goal of the mission of God's grace flowing through his church. And we get out of our comfort zone as cup bearers, and we get in to the building place in God's kingdom, and we put both hands to work. We might need to fight some battles, and we might need to fix some issues, but both hands are all in, and we see God. What we only see in half now, one day we'll see in full. What we only see naturally, one day in eternity, we'll see in glory, that what we put our life to actually mattered fathers, your life matters so significantly. Do not quit. Don't give up. And if you stay the course, God will steady your life, He will strengthen your life, and He will elevate your life. Do you believe that? Why don't you stand on your feet? I want to pray for you. Father God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the men in this house, the fathers, I thank of for everyone. If there's been a spirit of discouragement, is try to discredit your work in their life. They feel like they're never going to get there. Right now, we expose that lie from the enemy for what it is. It's been sent to disqualify who God is to us and to cancel our calling. And we rebuke the negativity of the enemy. We'll acknowledge where we need to grow, where we've missed the mark. What needs to change? But we're acknowledging the change agent is Jesus by his grace. And he didn't go halfway to the cross and we're not gonna halfway obey. We are not. We know God, you're not halfway done. You're still at work. So God, I thank you. The fear is far from us. Failure is far from us. Frustration and fatigue is far from us. And our faith is rising up that's not just for our own portion, but we're putting it all in together for the purpose of heaven that we're building something that's bigger than us that glorifies God, and that reaches the lost, that impacts the world around us, if we can fulfill one mission, to get the grace of God to everyone in Kansas City and beyond. God, I thank you for what you are doing. I think you're supernaturally recharging the spirit of the men and the women of this church to keep believing, and to not grow weary in well-doing, Because the harvest of the hand of God is about ready to show up in their marriage, in their mission, in the raising of their kids, and in their career. God, we thank you. Your hand is at work. And we trust you in the process. Stay in the moment of prayer if you're here and you're far from Jesus. You're missing the whole point of life. You might have heard about Jesus. You might know a little bit about God. He might be in church. But if he isn't first in your life, that is the one cornerstone that you cannot build. Anything that matters for eternity without that as the foundation jesus isn't first maybe he's been first in times past and you've been building things your own way and you need to know you got to clear the rubble and you need know, to restart the beginning that i got to be about god first the only way i could be god first is i received the gift of jesus if you're here and you've never given your heart to jesus or maybe you have and you've walked away you've been building something for yourself it's time to come back to the beginning the starting place the priority place if that's you i'm not going to make you come up front We're going to pray together as one family of faith. But if you need a fresh start with Jesus today, would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor Kyle, that's me. I'm done playing games. I'm going all in. I see one. I see two. Anyone else want to join in? Three of you. That's awesome. One last moment. Four of you. That's awesome. We're going to pray this prayer of new beginnings and fresh starts together as a church family. We can open our eyes and look up because we do this with a smile on our face. This is a beautiful moment. People are getting a brand new beginning with Jesus. This is what we build the walls for, right? So people can find safety, security, and salvation in the presence of God. Can we pray together? Say this with me. Say, thank you, God, for loving me. I was distant, separated by sin, trapped in shame, but you sent a gift. Your son, King Jesus, died for me, took my sin, buried my shame, rose from the grave so I could have new life. I receive the gift. I receive your grace. Thank you for forgiving me. Grow my faith as I follow you. Jesus, you're first from now on. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate everybody who prayed that prayer? Happy Father's Day, Kingdom City Church. I love you very much.